I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. What is up and welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah. And in case you haven't heard, this is the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the universe. In the universe. So I've checked. So you don't have to take my word for it. You could check too. It's the number one. And uh, super proud of that. So (laughs) thanks to you guys. I'm saying it every week until somebody challenges me. You want to challenge me that you have a better podcast for independent restaurant owners in the universe? I'm right here. I'm right here. I love that. I'm going to get a belt. Get me a belt. I'm going to get a belt. It's going to have the podcast on the front of it. It's going to say number one. And uh, I'll see if anybody wants to try to take it from me. <laughs> I love it. Um, so it's right before Thanksgiving. Episode 92. And um, for some reason, we're, we're moving. We're moving like next Sunday and I got to get packing. Like, this is crazy. I don't know about you, but I fucking hate moving. I hate packing. I hate loading the truck. I hate unpacking. I hate it all. I'm excited to go where we're going. Very excited. Um, But the process itself is is too much for me. So (sighs) got that on my plate. Um, Hopefully you guys are, you know, you know, that's the thing, like, a lot of you guys are going to have a busy week. All the college kids come home the night before Thanksgiving, the thing for you guys with a heavy bar focus. Um, so that's awesome. And then you have everybody home after that for the holidays, like the college kids come home. If that's a, a thing for your business, I know here in the suburbs of New York, that's a, that's a big deal. You get a nice little bump up in business, um, kind of like the summer. So something to look forward to there. Um, really excited about what's coming up in the new year. You guys, you have sent in some great suggestions. I really appreciate that. So keep them coming. Um, and this this story today is super interesting. It's Adam Weiss, the CEO um, from Honeybee Burgers. They are a plant-based burger concept out in LA. And they they did like a, what do you call those? Um, well, a crowdfunding, which I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that for your restaurant, but it's a great idea to help raise some money without having to hit up mom and dad or try to get it from a bank. So uh, a great story. Um, very interesting how they make their, their plant-based product. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy, check it out. Adam Weiss, the CEO of Honeybee Burgers. Today's episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern team management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. Effective team management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially as restaurants start to open back up and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trusts your turning team into a competitive advantage for your business. Right now, National Restaurant Owners Podcast listeners can get three months absolutely free Get started at www.7shifts.com backslash 
national-restaurant-owners-podcast. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash National Restaurant Owners Podcast to get three months of industry-leading team management for free. Tap the Table is the world's fastest online ordering platform. Sell your food, merch, and event tickets fast and frictionlessly on the most popular social media channels, including Facebook and Instagram. Converting comments into customers is what made Tap the Table famous in the F&B tech space. Tap the Table allows your restaurant to automatically convert the comments you get on social media into cash. Build your list and own your data. With Tap the Table, your supercharged social media will automatically begin working for you by building your own list and allowing you to own your own data. Automatically build that list through direct sales on social media and even through third-party delivery services like Uber Eats and DoorDash. For a risk-free 60-day trial, DM me TTT for a special promo code today. I'm going to keep it real with you guys. A lot of you need a new website. A lot of you. And by a lot, I mean most of you need a new website, which is why I partnered with Bento Box to help you do just that. They provide uh, a full service setup that brings agency level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. And just because you're a listener of this show, you can also receive 50% off your setup fees by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the how did you hear about Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6, Bento Box, own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I am your host, Kyle and Sarah, and today's guest is Adam Weiss, the CEO and director of Honeybee Burger, a mission-driven plant-based QSR concept with two locations, third on the way, uh, in Los Angeles, California. Adam's goal is to focus on businesses that can change the world for the better with a primary concentration on food and agricultural tech-related businesses that can leverage new and disruptive products and technologies in order to reduce the impact and use of animals in our food chain. In 2018, he came up with the Honeybee Burger Concept, a mission-driven brand that is quickly establishing itself as a platform for new and emerging plant-based brands, including Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat, Just Egg, and Eclipse Foods. Honeybee has recently raised more than a million dollars on Start Engine to assist Adam and the Honeybee brand in growing nationally through small footprint brick and mortar locations, virtual kitchens, and franchising. Adam, thanks for the time, and I appreciate you uh, being on the show. Uh, my pleasure, Kyle. Great. Thank you. So tell me how you came up with the idea for Honeybee Burger. We, um, I'd been investing in the, in the plant-based food space since uh, probably 2010 with a brand called um, Cafe Gratitude, which was you know, started by some really passionate uh, vegan uh, believers up in the Bay Area. And they had built a wonderful business, but hadn't really expanded past the Bay Area. We had some friends who fell in love with the brand who were based out here in LA. They wound up buying the rights and, and securing rights to, to grow that business. We invested um, in LA in the first store back in 2010, 2011 it took off and it was wonderfully successful. And not only did it teach me that you could make an impact through investing in a restaurant, but that there was something there, there was some passion there. And so, you know, having grown up in LA, the two things we learned never to invest in are restaurants and movies. Mm. Um, and I avoided the movies, uh, but the restaurant thing was interesting. And, and what it came down to was a real purpose 
that the founders had at, at trying to express their beliefs in animal welfare and the future of the planet through investing in a restaurant and selling plant-based food. So I noodled around and decided this could be really compelling. I was a hedge fund guy, really doing nothing more than you know helping make rich people richer, which is fine. Uh, but I felt a, a longing for more purpose. And ultimately, um, I put it on my LinkedIn thinking, okay, investing in Cafe Gratitudes is a really cool thing. And I started getting deal flow. I started having people call me with cool plant-based ideas. And awesome. um, it was it was amazing. And by the <laughs> way, props to LinkedIn for being one of the great marketing tools of all oh, time. Oh, man. It's, it's a machine. And so uh, a couple of wonderful Dutch entrepreneurs reached out to me and they said, hey, Adam, we've got this really cool uh, plant-based product we want you to try. Maybe it'll be good for gratitude. Maybe you'll want to invest. So we met and this was in 2017, 2018. And they had this wonderful product. Um, and it was a, a product based on a new plant-based protein called Lemna or duckweed. And the two entrepreneurs had created this wonderful growth technology to grow it and refine it and, and make it into chips and tortillas. Bottom line is I thought we have something bigger here than chips and tortillas. You may have this new technology and platform that could help you know, maybe change the world and feed the future. And uh, the, the company was reformulated into something called Plantable Foods. And to make a long story short, the goal was to create a new plant-based protein for the future that wasn't based on crop cycles like soy and wheat, and that was perhaps easier to grow on non-arable land. Uh, so you wouldn't need farmland, you could grow it in aquaponds. And at the time in 2018, there were these two huge companies that were just coming up, Beyond and Impossible, and they were both in the LA area. And they both had what was becoming this really new cool product for plant-based meat, which nobody had seen before. And their demand for plant-based protein whether it be wheat or soy or pea, was going to be insatiable. So we wow. reached out to them and thought, hey guys, we have this cool new protein. But what it led me to was this fact that Beyond and Impossible were out there, but it was really hard to find. And having tried it, I was blown away. I thought everyone else would be too. My success with Cafe Gratitude led me to believe you could build a plant-based food brand. And we wound up trying to figure out, well, if we can't, if we can't find and buy it, Let's start a brand that embraces it. And that's what led to the starting of Honeybee in uh, late 2018. So this, this, this plant that you, this plant protein that you're referring to, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that and why that's important to the, to, to your process and why it's so important to you? Sure. That's, that's personal. So, um, as it is, you know, in, in learning about, uh, protein and animal protein, uh, as, as we know, if you listen to any of the podcasts or, or, um, the guys who founded Beyond an Impossible, Pat and Ethan Brown, unrelated. They talk about how cows and animals generally are wildly inefficient makers of protein and calories. They take a vast amount of water, vast amount of land, and turn it into a really small amount of digestible protein. Mm. Um, and, and you don't think about that when, it, A, you don't care about animals, but B, if you don't care about carbon footprint, the future of the planet, water, and so on. But when you do, you realize there are far more efficient means to create protein. And plants are by far the most efficient way to create protein, to turn sunlight, water, and, and soil nutrients into digestible protein that you and I can survive on. And there are various plants that do it. Obviously, soy and wheat and nuts are well known. Less known is this tiny little thing called duckweed or lemna or water lentil. It goes by a lot of different mm -hmm. names. And generally speaking, it floats on the surface of ponds and it's not lily pads or scum, but it looks like them. They're little clover shaped leaves. But here's the beauty. They grow 24, seven, 365. 
They double in biomass every two to three days and they can be harvested year round. And because they're so soft and delicate, they give up their protein very easily, meaning you don't have to really put it through a lot of processing to get a digestible protein out of it. And then the holy grail, the protein it produces is very digestible for you and me. Because as you know, there's a protein in every green leaf out there on the planet, but you and I can't necessarily eat them that easily. This plant grows a protein, Rubisco, that we can digest very readily. And it's really exciting for the, for the future of the planet. That's very cool. I mean, that, that's, I've heard of Lemna and I haven't heard referred to as these two other names, yes. but in, in terms of, you know, taking that, you know, it's, you know, I, I was a chef, right? So it's hard for me to wrap my head around this, but taking this plant leaf that you're talking about and putting it into a burger form, what is, what's all involved in that? I mean, how, I just want to know that, know how yeah. this, <laughs> you could look at this and think, Hey, this would make for a great burger concept. Well, well, so here's <laughs> the thing. So the duckweed protein uh, also called Ruby Pro, which is their trade name. That product isn't available yet for commercial consumption. That's being tested by some of the biggest plant-based food makers out there. What, what the connection I made with Honeybee was this amazing new plant-based meat that was coming out of Beyond and Impossible, which back in 2018 was very hard to find. You might've found it in one or two restaurants in LA, maybe one in New York, but you couldn't find it generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So rather than wait for the development of this protein coming out of the company called Plantable, we just rushed out and embraced Beyond and Impossible and, and frankly built our initial brand and presence around those materials and products because so many people were starting to hear about them. And so while it did open my eyes to this new potential plant protein for the future, what it really did was alert me to the amazing plant-based products that were ready for the market today. And that's really what we built Honeybee around. That's great. So talk, so talk to me about that now. So now you have this, this idea of what you want to do. What is the process like going from, you know, this, the idea to opening your doors? How did that start? Well, so what it started with was to, to take a step back uh, after the successful investment in Cafe Gratitude and, and multiple of their restaurants, we, we began to realize plant-based foods could be, you know, very, not just, you know, good for the planet and your body, but even financially, Margins are good. There's less spoilage and so on. And so I, I knew I wanted to build a plant-based protein, a plant-based you know food brand. And burgers seemed very accessible, ubiquitous, and easy to understand. We all know you know what a burger is. A cheeseburger is pretty mm -hmm. simple. But more importantly, the elements that go into a cheeseburger. And we won't geek out on the chef side just yet. But there's egg in the bun. There's dairy in the cheese. Uh, obviously, there's animal protein in the patty. And that has a gigantic carbon and water footprint, which you can't even understand. In fact, even the slice of cheddar in a, in a cheeseburger has a gigantic carbon and water footprint. So it, I can't wrap my head around that. I'd like to, well, yeah, I'd like to get into that as soon as you're done there. Yeah, that's, that's, that'll, that'll blow you away. But the bottom line was that if Pat Brown and Ethan Brown, two of the great thinkers in our industry, not just food and science, but really nationally, could could build their initial you know planet changing product around a burger maybe I could too, and leverage what they had done and their messaging and their passion, and so we put this idea together where a, a plant based food brand that was easy to understand, ideal for fast food and small footprint, and also embraced the best of what was happening in plant based food, led me to the cheeseburger and there was a not a lot going on at that time. Uh, in what we call vegan 2.0. A lot of the plant-based food that you could find, we refer to affectionately, by the way, as vegan 1.0. And that embraced whole food ingredients like, you know, beans and quinoa and rice and, and generally, you know, patties that wouldn't blow you away if you were a carnivore, 
-hmm. and frankly, don't even stand up to delivery. But nevertheless, there's a reason only 3% of the people in, in America identify as vegan. I think a lot of that food is just hard to really embrace and love and enjoy. That said, the food that we make with Beyond and Impossible is mind-blowing and it's, it's mind-changing, in fact. And so really when Honeybee came about, it was going to be about embracing the Vegan 2.0, the new products, the Beyonds and, and Impossibles, and all the many other brands we can talk about. But with the goal of, of making this standard carnivore omnivore go, wow, this is amazing. I couldn't tell it was made by plants, made with mm. plants. And I just did something really good for the planet and my body. And so that's really how we we built the whole notion of honeybee around this concept. Wow. So what are I mean, what are the some of the misconceptions around the plant-based product or bringing something like this to market? I mean, it's obviously it seems like your timing was very good. Like it seems we're, we, we've picked up on this trend. More and more people are aware and cognizant of the way they're eating. But what are some of the misconceptions that you find in the marketplace or with your customers that that maybe make this a little bit of a challenge to, to maybe expand? Well, the, okay, so there's a couple. Um, first of which is the weirdness factor, right? Plant-based meat, make up your mind, you know, yeah, right. what is it? We've had, we've had vegans come in and say, it looks too much like meat, I can't eat it. Give me a veggie patty. And we've had carnivores come in and go, not possible. This isn't meat. This is definitely, <laughs> right. this is this is meat. It's right. not plants. Um, but the biggest mis misconception really, and, and it, to be fair, it's something we're always bumping up against. And that is this vegan 2.0 concept, which embraces new brands is new. And it does take advantage of a lot of new technologies and new processes. So we get a lot of the your food is made in a lab. Wait, this is all engineered. We don't understand what is all this stuff with hoim, uh, heme or soy hemoglobin. And, and so they wind up having to have that conversation. Now, to be fair, those that are that deep in it are hyper enlightened. And we do have a lot of hyper enlightened customers, mm -hmm. specifically in LA. Um, that's a tough one. You know, you have to walk them through why even with all that said and done, it's still better for you and the planet than eating part of a dead animal. Right. Uh, the, the conversation of the, the beyond an impossible versus a whole food rice and bean patty, that's a legitimate one. Um, and to be fair, that's why we're also embracing some new whole food ingredients that we're putting together in-house. But generally speaking, that's the, been the big limiting factor in the initial winning over of customers. Yeah, I've experienced that uh, hyper-enlightened uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had, um, I, I was part of a concept uh, here locally in New York called Organic Farmer, and um, mm. we had honey in something. And oh, they were like, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I, that that was uh, an eye opener to me. I wasn't aware we were going that that deep with it, but that exists, yeah. right? I mean, if you're going to be you know a mission yeah. brand, you have to be ready to have those conversations. How do you? I mean, for you, obviously, it's very you're very passionate about it. You you feel strongly about this. Mm -hmm. How do you go about? taking that passion and making sure the people who run the stores are injected, so to speak, with that same type of passion and knowledge. Right. You know, that's a huge challenge. And they, at Cafe Gratitude, uh, the team established an amazing culture and you can't help but feel it when you walk into any one of the number of restaurants that, that they have. Um, that said, Honeybee, you know, really was birthed in mid 2019 and got its legs under in January of 2020. So if you check the calendar, that was about a month or two before the pandemic hit. And so to the extent that you could even keep workers and keep people coming in, that was the big challenge. Building an internal corporate culture um, has been obviously challenging, A, because we're small and B, because you know we had to find our feet 
during a pandemic. At the same time, they'll understand what we're doing and everything we do is for a purpose. And, and the best example I can give you is we use a uncoated cardboard box. Uh, there's no wax on it. And that makes it you know, compostable and recyclable. As a result though, sometimes you'll get some grease stains through, right? We, we sell fries and burgers. And so we've had customers and ask our staff and our staff ask us, hey, why don't we go to a wax box? It'll look neater. And every time we reiterate the message, they get it and they go, wow, this is different. We yeah. get why this is special. And that's the kind of messaging that we create throughout the, the staff and our customer experience. And I, I think we're long-term, that's gonna resonate. I think that's, I mean, I personally think that that's a, that's a huge piece because, you know, restaurants, I think now, even it was kind of a thing before the pandemic, but attaching themselves to a why and then having it be like mm -hmm. front and center more so than the food. I mean, particularly for a QSR, right? I mean, people are coming there, you know, there's not all that, that the data that says that millennials and these younger generations mm -hmm. want to associate with brands that they have a strong connection with. Um, do you see that? As you, do you see that in, in the day to day with, with Honeybee? Yeah, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I'm going to say a thousand percent yes. Um, now, again, we're we're here in L.A. Uh, and I can tell you that our customers, first of all, they love us and we get a lot of love, even on Yelp, but certainly on Instagram and social right. and from a growing you know, group of influencers. Grubhub picked us you know, for Earth Day as one of the more sustainable QSRs they've seen. But really what it comes down to is and you nailed it, Kyle. Millennials and Zs really want to care about where they spend their money. And generally speaking, that might mean, you know, they want a vegan sneaker. So Adidas and Nike are now coming out with, you know, mm -hmm. pineapple and mushroom leather sneakers. Um, and they also think where they invest, they want to invest in companies that maybe, you know, don't use, use fair trade or stay out of certain markets. Um, this is different because it's fast food. So it's like, why would anyone care? Guess what? They do. And by, by really embracing and reaching out, what you're doing is you're creating a, a tribe, you're building a tribe and you're creating a reason for them to go, you know what? I may have paid a dollar or two more. It was great, but I, I really believe in what they're doing and they talk to me. And that is important for our, our national plan for sure. Yeah, I mean, that that is, I mean, that's huge, right? I think people are now more aware, more cognizant of, of what they put in their body mm -hmm. and they, they wanna know that you're being real. Cause I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of people that will say that they are, and you know, slapping an impossible burger on any kind of bun is not a vegan thing, right? That's 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 kind yeah. of half-assing it, so to speak. Um, yes. In you know, in creating this whole plant-based menu and and sourcing or you know, working with these these um, purveyors to to create products, how do you go about keeping costs in line so that you can make it affordable for people who are used to paying, I don't yeah. know, eight nine burgers for whatever they pay for a QSR burger? But you know, yeah. how do you keep the costs in line? It's hard. Um, and to be fair, these ingredients, they're novel, they're new, and the companies hadn't necessarily scaled yet. The good news is Beyond Impossible and even Just Egg have all slashed their prices dramatically over the last year or two as they've grown in scale. As we grow and buy more and can store more, we can negotiate better pricing. Um, but COGS is always a battle, you know, cost of goods sold. These are premium ingredients. To give you an example, we talk about this all the time. Uh, a ground, uh, a pound of ground beef is relatively less money than a pound of Impossible. And if you went to the grocery store, you could buy probably a pound of Impossible, something around eight to $10 a pound. 
Mm. Uh, an equivalent, even the finest ground beef, and I, 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 that's an, an oxymoron to me, but nevertheless. Um, <laughs> you want to say those words. I can't say I can't, it's hard for, <laughs> hard for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, is about a third that. And even worse, wow. a, QSR, a QSR pound of commercial ground beef is probably a dollar thirty to a dollar fifty a pound. So they're paying almost seventy percent less than we are. They can sell a burger for two or three dollars. We can't. But that mm. said, the new the new items I'm willing to have higher, you know, or I should say lower margins on those on the Beyonds and Impossibles because I'm also selling fries, shakes, chicken sandwiches, which we're increasingly selling, and we can talk about that with with better margins. Uh, I can accept it, and I, I think going forward will improve just by scaling up and getting better negotiating power. Yeah, and I think part of that, I mean, a lot of that goes towards what you we were saying before is having that front and center and, you know, through your messaging and your marketing and, and letting people know, like, you know, you're targeting a very specific audience and they're they're mm -hmm. aware of what these costs are. So it's almost like a different market. They don't care that a McDonald's cheeseburger is $2. They won't, would rather yeah. pay whatever it costs to get a honeybee burger and know that they're getting what they want. I think um, that's right. So talk, So we touched on the beginning in the intro about the crowdfunding piece. Can you touch on what that process was like? It seems to have been yeah. wildly successful you get for you guys. Yeah, so it was it was late um, 2020 and we had been successful during the pandemic um, and thought, you know, this is really compelling. Two things were happening. One, we were getting traction. We were building our community. You know, we were definitely uh, making money. And, and two, sadly, but in reality, a lot of restaurants were going under. And I thought this could create opportunity for us. And while that sounds, it sounds horrible and mercenary, you know, mm -hmm. part of our mission is to find second gen burger restaurants coast to coast and flip them and turn them into honeybees. And we think long term, that's good, even though for every restaurant that fails, there's a probably a passionate entrepreneur, cook or sole proprietor that lost their business. So we feel for them. Um, and there may be a future in helping and working with them. But that said, mm -hmm. I thought this could be a chance now to, to scale. And we did look, I have a lot of rich friends. I've certainly raised a lot of money billions from pensions, endowments, and institutional investors. And I thought that's not what I wanted. What I wanted to do was bring in a tribe and an army, and I've spoken about this, that only crowdfunding could do. And five years ago, you couldn't do it. The regulations weren't there, the software wasn't there, and the internet couldn't help. Now with regulatory changes, the internet, and the rise of these platforms, I thought we can do this. And I thought we had a mission that was really compelling. I vetted all of them. Uh, that were out there from Republic and there's a restaurant funder and, and certainly start engine and they didn't really do F&B food and beverage certainly not restaurants um, mm -hmm. and, and so it took a minute for me to get my arms around which one and what the messaging would be and we picked start engine I happen to know the founder they had just started to uh, expand their platform with Mr. Wonderful they were advertising a lot on uh, CNBC he had obviously taken a stake in the company and so it was getting bigger they had all the right things and we can talk about vetting those platforms because I do get called all the time. So we went live with that. It was a bit of work. I underwrote it, it in um, February 26th, we went live and by mid-April we were full. And wow. we've been in a hold mode because the regulations changed while we were live. Um, the regulations allowed us to raise from 1.07 million, which is the statutory limit to 5 million. And wow. so I took a step back and thought, okay, maybe we do that. So we've been going through the idea. I can't really talk about it here because of regulations, mm -hmm. but, but uh, we might. The good news is we have 1,400 passionate investors. Think about that, 1,400 
brand ambassadors, 1400 Yelpers, 1400 people that might say, you know, cater my kids school thing or do the craft service at my new shoot, or, you know, can you do a food fair? 1400, you know, free and, and really motivated brand developers for you. They open it up. But I think if you can tap that market, it can be really powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's 1400 is quite a bit of a, uh quite a bit of presence to have in the market for yeah. the plant-based thing. And especially when they're invested in, in a brand, they're obviously yeah. going to continue to promote it. Um, you spoke before about the, the environmental impact of producing cheese. Can you touch on that? Yeah. yeah. So, so we, we have this, um, uh, I dare I say cheesy poster we put together um, <laughs> early on. It turned out, it, it is cute. And it's actually um, was featured, um, the other day in in a piece that um was written about us but you can you can see it on our instagram and basically it's a burger that's been deconstructed and um even though it looks like something you'd see in a five-year-old playroom it essentially shows you know an egg that goes into the standard bun or brioche bun the dairy or milk carton that goes into the cheese and the cow that goes into the meat and we all think about the cow we understand that here's the thing about cheese so cheese is made typically of dairy of milk and um Milk is a very, very inefficient thing. Basically, here's the deal. To, you, you have to have a dairy cow that's mature enough to create the milk that you need to create the cheese. So you need a vast amount of milk to create cheese. You need a vast amount of water to create the milk to make the cheese. And a standard dairy cow doesn't reach maturity until they're three years old. Mm. They, eat, they eat thousands of acres of feed, alfalfa, which has to be grown in a field, before they can reach that point. So now think about all the water and land needed to create the alfalfa to feed them that long before they can make the first slice of cheese. And wow. that's when you start realizing, wait, that thing has a carbon footprint and we can swap that out with something far more sustainable. So when you start thinking all that through, we have math outside our, our, our doors, the vast amount of water and, and land you can change just by or save that you can um, swap out just by swapping a plant-based burger for uh, one made of animals is enormous. Wow. I, I guess I, I've never even thought about that. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of education right there. Um, so talk to me about, you, you, you said you were going to be looking at some opportunities that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, in my experience, there hasn't been the tremendous fallout of uh, restaurants that we anticipated, but there's certainly been a good mm -hmm. amount. Um, what's your, what's your strategy on, on uh, real estate and, and, and picking locations in new markets? So, you know, we're going through it now and we looked all during the pandemic. When we realized we were getting traction, we thought we were really on to something. So we had our feelers out and brokers working coast to coast. Um, and uh, by the way, those 1400 investors, I don't think a day goes by that we don't get a, a message or an email or a ping from a guy, whether they're in Austin or Sacramento or Fresno or Fort Lauderdale. And they say, wow, there's a corner location. You guys should look at it. Think about that. 1400 eyes on the ground who all are looking for us to find a I'm telling you, it's the ace in the hole. I, I, yeah. We haven't even leveraged it yet. That said, um, we're looking for Gen 2 restaurants. Um, as, as the crowd may know that watches this podcast, um, we do uh, frying and, and, um, and grill, grilling. And as a result, you need venting. And venting, which is a hood to the, to the roof, is an expensive proposition. And sometimes it's really difficult to get approved by a landlord. And so for us oh, yeah. to find a second gen restaurant, one that's already gone through that, so we don't have to, does two things. One, it eliminates the time and requirement to go through the, the paperwork and also the cost. So you can get mm -hmm. to market faster. So we focused on gen two. Believe it or not, small footprint gen two restaurants 
are still pretty high in demand. They don't get built that often because of the capital required and the revenue you can squeeze out yeah. of them. Usually they're far bigger, but we need a smaller footprint. So it's not like they're copious number of them that are out there. That said, when they do come up, we think we're the highest and best use for them because we can crank a lot of revenue out of per, per square foot out of these things. So we've been looking. Um, we don't need to be on the corner of Maine and Maine, uh, we don't think. We do want to be um, associated with good co-tenancies or uh, you know, good area. But that said, as a QSR that, re that relies on 30 to 40% delivery, you need ingress and egress for delivery drivers, which immediately rules out malls. So yep. the mall, mall math is completely different, not interested in malls. We get calls all the time, which we're honored by, but can't do it. Um, at the same time, you can't always get, even if you're pick a location, we'll say out of Manhattan for a minute, but downtown Santa Monica on a corner, there's no parking. So the mm -hmm. delivery drivers can't come. There's 30 or 40% of your business. So there's a lot of math that goes into picking just the right, you know, co-tenancy, parking, ingress, egress. And it's hard, but when we find a site that works and we are increasingly finding them, um, we feel like we're de-risking if we can get all those things right. Yeah, as, as a real estate guy and somebody who preaches this all the time, I love to hear you talk through those filters, right? Because so many times you get hit up with saying, people want to say, I want a second gen restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Only a little bit more because there are so many things like you're pointing out here, co-tenancy, yeah. accessibility, visibility that are mm -hmm. need to go through. And then when you go through that, how many are there really? Unless you're looking at a large territory like the country, it's a little bit different. But sure. um, in, in markets, that's very important, right? I mean, you want to yep. give yourself the best chance. These rents are not cheap. Um, but I think that that's um, obviously a very smart tactic. Um, mm. You had mentioned, um, or we had spoke about in, in the intro, um, growing the brand potentially through um, franchising. Is that mm -hmm. something you're considering? Or where you guys are all corporate-owned now, correct? Yeah. So, so yes. So traditionally, as you probably know, Kyle and people who watch this podcast, you can finance restaurants one off. You form a little LLC or partnership. You you raise, pick your number. It's three to five to ten people. You have a split with the GP uh, and, and and so on. And and there's a there's a waterfall and a cash return and, and turnover. That said, that's a hard, inefficient way to grow restaurants. Mm -hmm. Even though that's what we've done. That's what Cafe Gratitude did when they started. Um, really to scale. Um, you need you need access to capital, and it's a it's an expensive business. Um, you can do it through franchising, and it's certainly something we can talk about. Um, we are definitely planning that as we disclose on uh, Start Engine, and we are careful, right? Anything I say, we have a live campaign on Start Engine as of the date of this um, um, recording. So I can't really talk about things that aren't already disclosed mm -hmm. for fear that it will give somebody else advantage that somebody else didn't have. That said. Um, everything we're doing is with an eye towards not just franchising, but creating a brand unique and compelling enough that a large private equity firm um, might find compelling enough to acquire and put in their portfolio, maybe go public, reverse that, who knows? Right. But the idea is we're thinking long-term that we want to replicate this in markets throughout the country. I mean, it helps that you have a background in that type of stuff. I mean, you talk about it very easy, easy. I mean, it's very second nature to you. Um, sure. That's that's a huge advantage. And I think that, you know, when you're looking at a concept that's, you know, let's, I mean, hot right now, right? People want to eat plant-based stuff and it's becoming mm -hmm. more, more mainstream. I think it's important to keep all those different avenues. You know, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, my, my concern though, and, and as talking to you as a CEO, is how do you go about controlling that that level of commitment, right? I mean, but there's there's mm. got to be that like vetting out the franchisee or even you know employees like we touched on before. But sure. um, is that a concern moving forward? 
Yeah. So the, the, the just to touch on the franchising. So um, it's a wildly complex business. Uh, it's, it's, there's tons of regulations around it. Um, and, and everyone says, oh, I want a franchise. It's really hard. Uh, and, and not that we're going to geek out and talk about this, but you, you need a great franchise lawyer. We, we think we met one. There are one or two or three phenomenal brand consult franchise consultants. You can't do it without them, in my opinion, if you really want to scale and be institutional. Um, they're deeply knowledgeable. There's a ton of work to do to get it right. At the same time, you know, when, when the market's telling you, we love your brand, we love what you do, and there are operators throughout the country that are begging you to open a store and they mm -hmm. want to help you, you can't ignore that. Right. Um, and so, so yes, we field calls. I, I'll, I'll do a call once a week with a really passionate, maybe operator entrepreneur that wants to maybe open in Denver or Florida or New York. And, you know, there's a, there's a way to pave a, a path, a path going forward. At the same time, though, we're not ready. We're trying to dominate, you know, Southern Cal, which I'm sure we're going to get into. And then uh, we've got some plans throughout the country. But we're trying to be thoughtful, establish incumbency, really nail what we do, and then grow from there. Nice. So that that um, that third location, you guys have the two stores, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And how the third one is opening very Momentarily. soon? Yeah. So that one's mid-city LA. It ticked all the boxes. Uh, we've got dedicated delivery driver parking. We wow. have parking underneath. We have avenue and parking in front with great visibility. We have indoor and outdoor because I will never underrate a, uh, underwrite a store anymore that doesn't have outdoor access. <laughs> uh, it was it was hooded. It was in great shape and it was a pandemic deal. We, uh, and we did, and, and Kyle, this is a growing thing with, with anybody that underwrites new restaurants, especially in QSR, you have to understand your delivery markets and radius and polygons. You have to know that. This one's a home run. And so we did the math on competitors on our current delivery radius. We knew where our customers were, which is a huge benefit. And this thing is just smack in the middle. Likewise, and we haven't talked about it, but for virtual or cloud restaurants or yeah. kitchens, um, you have to pick, you have to know your market and, and know your radius as well. But so this one on La Brea in Mid-City or Hancock Park um, is probably a few weeks away. It took longer than we thought because mm -hmm. as you may have heard, labor is hard to find, materials are hard to find. And frankly, yeah. During the depths of the pandemic, we weren't interested in trying to open it yet. Yeah, that's. I mean, clearly there's a lot of challenges getting uh, just one store open. Never mind looking for a new one, trying to staff yep. it, and the construction costs. A lot going against you there. But uh, we are to the virtual brands. You know, I've often said that I, I like them a lot um, to test mm -hmm. new markets. Yeah. Um, is that something you? How do you guys plan to use uh, virtual kitchens or ghost kitchens? Or, so we uh, do. We have one at the Colony, which is in West LA. Mm -hmm. um, first time operators, they found a great location. It was an old furniture warehouse, um, they, yeah, which a lot of these are, right? They have the foot, nobody goes to furniture warehouses anymore. Right. They have the footprint, which you need. You need a huge height. You need the infrastructure to build one. Right. This one was beautiful because it was located right at the 405, the San Diego Freeway and Santa Monica Boulevard, which was central, once you do the math, to everything from the office markets in Beverly Hills and Century City, all the way to downtown Santa Monica. And so when we were doing the delivery math and radius math, we thought, wow, we can get all these markets from one little location. And then boom, pandemic, you know, yeah. hits. And we realized, okay, we need residential people to be able to order. And Colony does have in-house dining, which has been great. And not they don't all have that. So they actually can serve customers coming in from the street. Generally speaking, the most venues don't have that. So this became a hub for us. We launched literally five days before the pandemic hit in March and has 
I'm knocking wood here, uh, turned profitable. Very fortunate because we've done that on a relatively very low break even. And I think it served as a template for us to, to underwrite more of them going forward. Nice. And that's, is that something that you would see, like, let's say you're looking in Seattle, you know, as opposed to the, mm-hmm. to the, the, whatever, 600,000 to a million dollars, you need to build out a store. Um, would you consider doing something like that to test the market first? Absolutely. In fact, so most of the operators of franchise kitchens or, or ghost kitchens. Now there's two, right? There's cloud kitchen, which is Travis Klanick from Uber and kitchens United, which is a separate group. They're both deeply funded. They both have, growing national footprints and they want to roll you out in their network. So little known to, to most people that what they want to do is plug you in and then put you everywhere from you know San Francisco to Austin to Columbus, Ohio, and they have centralized infrastructure to manage that. So it's very tempting to say, okay, we're with you in El Segundo. Let's try one up in San Jose or Oakland, because mm-hmm. after all, you, you've got a lot of the infrastructure built. There's some upside and downside, but the, the startup cost is so low that we're going to start playing with the idea. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's smart, and I think it's so long as you can you're testing markets that you might potentially be in. I mean, that's it's like you, you said, got it. Yeah, that's a that's a great move. Yeah. Um, so you've got this full brick and mortar plan. You've got the virtual um, mm-hmm. the virtual stuff set up. What's the ultimate goal? Like, where do you see the brand in five years? And what's the ultimate goal for for the concept as, as you see it? Yeah, it's funny. So you say five years, Kyle. You're not. We're not allowed to talk about five years. In fact, uh, Start Engine limits you to three years, um, smartly, for for various reasons. So uh, I, I I can talk about long term dream, but within three years, I, and we talk about this. You know, we want to have twelve to thirty stores. You have to form these really wide goalposts uh, for regulatory reasons. Um, but you know, we want to be well on our way to franchising. We want to have a network of cloud kitchens. We want to be brick and mortar in very key Southern California markets. And um, I believe I have disclosed, and I certainly will, we're working on deals in Manhattan um, and in New York, not Manhattan Beach. And my thesis is, you know, if you can establish incumbency in LA and New York, you really become, on, you, you, you're on the radar, whether it's with national landlords who start calling, offering deals, certainly bankers, financiers, and so on. And so while it is true, I want to be, and we will have plans um, to be throughout SoCal, the minute we can get both those cities, it just opens all new doors for us. Yeah, I, I say that all the time. There, There's, you know, with emerging concepts, if you can establish relationships with some of the bigger landlords in the country and you have, you know, things are going well mm-hmm. and they like you and you like them, they're just going to slap you on plans from, you got it. from coast to coast. And if you're looking to grow, that that's a sort of like an insider like tip there to get in with these guys rather than go hunting and pecking for sites all around town on your own. That's right. That's right. Well, Adam, I don't want to keep it too much longer. Tell everyone where they can find you guys in LA and how they can go about ordering their honeybee burgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, appreciate that, Kyle. So um, first and foremost, follow us on Instagram. I, I know it sounds weird for a restaurant, but uh, ever since the pandemic, you can now order food through Instagram, which is amazing. A little known feature, use it if you operate a restaurant. It's very powerful. Love that. Um, So we're on Instagram at Honeybee Burger. Um, You can visit our website, which we're currently rebuilding at www.honeybeeburger.com. Follow me on LinkedIn if you don't mind. Uh, I I do post there. And uh, for updates and check out um, the deal on Start Engine, it's it's startengine.com forward slash honeybee and check us out. So you can still be a part of this growth, right? You guys are only three units. There's a lot of upside here. 
We think so too. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And I look forward to watching the Honeybee uh, concept grow. Thank you, Kyle. Have a great day. You too. Peace. Thank you guys for checking out episode 93 with Adam Weiss from Honeybee Burgers. I also want to uh, remind you to please, please, please continue to support the sponsors. Their support of this show is everything to me right now. It's what keeps us running, and um, they've been really great. And we have some new ones uh, that have stepped up to the plate here, and I'm super, super grateful. And just so you guys know, these sponsors are I, – I don't, I don't want to just take money from sponsors just to take money. They're companies that I actually believe in. I know that they can help you guys, and they're just good people. They're just really good people doing great work for restaurants. So don't forget my people over at Seven Shifts. Of course, um, the links will be in the show notes with the discount codes. Tap the table. Um, unbelievable technology. If you guys haven't checked that out already. And, of course, Bento Box. Get that website up and running in no time, which, like we said, let's be honest, a lot of you guys need to do. So three great sponsors, great companies big hearts giving back to the industry and offering great, great discounts on their products and services for you guys. So um, yeah, give them, give them a shout and let them know that I sent you again. All the links will be in the show notes also linked in my Instagram bio. That's it. What else you guys need? All right. Have a great rest of your day and I will check you guys later this week.